Hello again, and welcome back to RPG Quest, the podcast where we do not play D&D. And this week we are continuing our path towards insanity as we play Call of Cthulhu. Uh, my name is Chris, I am your host and keeper, uh, and I am joined for this little adventure by Detective Jack Cassidy, a.k.a. Panda, a.k.a. Brendan. Hello. What's up, man? Yeah, feeling good, feeling good, ready to, uh, I don't know, hopefully watch you go insane, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's uh, maybe not ideal, but eventually going to happen. It's, yeah, inevitable, inevitable. Um, so, I guess where we last left off... It's a rainy Monday morning in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. It's uh, late February. Um, outside, well, Jack Cassidy is sitting in his car outside the residence of one Dennis Bouchard, one of the members of the most honourable crew of swords, a group involved in this year's upcoming Mardi Gras organisation, uh, part of the, you know, the parade, the float, you just managed to nab an invitation to the very exclusive masquerade ball being held by one Randall Fowler, another member of the uh, the crew of swords. As you're, uh, you know, investigating these people in relation to um, the mysterious death of newspaper reporter Peter Gavin, who uh, fell to his death, the police say suicide, uh, his colleague suspects murder. So, um... Yeah, after speaking with uh, Dennis Bouchard and realising that he, uh, well, ostensibly doesn't seem to be involved in this, uh, in this murder, doesn't seem to know much about, about these mysterious spooky yellow signs, what is Jack Cassidy planning to do next? Yeah, so I was thinking about this and uh, with all the disguises I've been using, certainly it's not a good idea to... Um go talk to Fowler <laughs> before the party. One, because he, you know, if Screech is around, he thinks I'm a different person. Um, and two, I'd have to keep up the uh, Avery Act probably before the party. Um, so, I feel like his choices are either to try to see if he can get in with, uh, what is it, Chet Creighton, or I'm sure he's pretty curious about this book at this point, um, and he's thinking... Heard a little bit about a cult some years back. Keep hearing about this honorable crew of swords. Um, maybe it's time to find out what I can about this cult and its history and take a look at that book. Obviously somewhere safe, as advised. Oh, finding out about the um, the events of the past. Yeah. 20 years ago. Hmm, of course. Yeah, and to, to do that, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, like... Probably a library is not a place to go for that. Maybe he could uh, check back in with the, the newspaper man, kind of update him on how things are going and see if he could learn anything, although he's quite busy, so I don't know. We'll see. Uh, yeah, give me um, an intelligence roll as well. See if you have any other ideas that may spring to mind. Ooh, okay. Oh, yeah. 39 versus 70, that's a success. Good way to start the session. Beautiful. Um, yeah, um, you could look at this this play um have a look at this book in terms of finding out about this um, event that happened 20 years ago another thing that springs to mind would possibly um even given your background could be going to the police the new orleans police trying to look through the files maybe even speaking to some of the um 
investigators involved. It's 20 years ago if they're still around. Yeah, that that is a good idea. I uh, I as a player didn't even consider it because I'm like, oh, I'm like a shamed cop. Um, but they wouldn't know that. That was very far away. So yeah, yeah, I think uh, that's a, definitely a good way to go. Cool. Yeah, you could head down to New Orleans Police if um if you're so inclined. Or what do you plan to do? Yeah. All right. I think if he's gonna go, um, you know. Talk, talk to some cops. Jack would take a minute to go back to the office, probably change into the better of his two suits, make sure he has his old badge on him, get presentable, like, for, for real this time, less frumpy, um, maybe even shave, and then go head off to the police station. Yeah, beautiful. So, yeah, you head to the, um, head to the police headquarters near the French Quarter. You head in, and uh, there is a, a front desk. There's a uniformed uh, officer, a young man, sitting there behind the front desk. You know, going through some some files as you as you walk in, and he kind of just looks up to see what you're up to. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jack's probably uh, trying to stand up. You know, as straight as he can, full full soldier style. You know, squared off shoulders, um, and we'll smile down at him, but you know, just barely. Um, say good morning, officer. Good morning. Uh, my name is, uh, private investigator, uh, Jackson Cassidy, formerly of the, uh, Chicago Police Department. Uh, I am retired from the police force itself, <clears throat> but I'm currently looking through an investigation and, um, it seems to have some ties to something that might have happened some years back. I was hoping I could maybe talk to some of your boys or look at, look at some of those old files and see if there's any way we could work together. He says, um... You could point me in the right direction. That'd be much, much appreciated, sir. I said, oh, uh... Yes, yeah, yeah, no, uh... That probably shouldn't be a, a problem if you want some old files. Do you, do you know the case? Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't know the, the name of the case you might have filed it under. Uh, it has something to do with... I mean, some event that happened 20 years ago um, involving a cult in, down here in the French Quarter. In the swamps? Uh, possibly. I, I will say, as a player, I can't remember what the exact mm. tragedy was. You, you would remember that, um, you just, you only heard it from, uh, Vargas, who said it was something to do with, um, communities in the swamps 20 years ago. Uh, yeah. Right. And he says, oh, yeah, the swamps, everyone knows about that. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I'll, um, one second. And he gets up from his desk. And then uh, a few moments later, he and uh, another, uh, this time plainclothed uh, detective, walk out, not from behind the desk, but walk out from through a door into the main hallway where you are. And uh, the detective walks up to you and he says, uh, Detective Fillmore, how can I help you? And he extends a hand. Yeah, vigorously shake his hand. Um, Brian investigator, Jax Cassidy. Um, yeah, I... I was just hoping that uh, you, uh, I'm, I'm new to town and I'm investigating a, a small matter, private matter. Uh, I was hoping that you guys could help fill me in a little bit or let me look over some files about uh, this, some dealings with the cult in the swamp 20 years ago. My client's pretty concerned about it somehow being connected. Oh, yeah, the swamps. Look, that shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I can, I can, I can get you some files from that. Um, 
just uh, wait with me. I'll get you some paperwork. Uh, he says, actually, uh, and he looks to the other police officer. And he says, uh, Malat, can you go get those uh, files? And uh, yeah, he nods and uh, rushes off. And he says, can I get you coffee or something? Oh, that'd be, that'd be absolutely wonderful. All right, wait, wait, wait right here. And uh, yeah, he comes back a moment later with uh, a little cup of coffee he passes to you. He says, uh, oh, interesting that uh, this has come up again. We haven't heard of it. Uh, can I ask what it's about? Oh, it's it's just some small matter. Um, you know how things to go. I mean, it's been a while now. I used to follow real cases, good detectives like you, in my time. But uh, retired from Chicago, it's it's pretty nasty up there these days. And now, I mean, most of the time, I'm looking after trying to track down men running around with their old woman. Um, I just I have a client right now who thinks they've been seeing things, and it's involved with this cult. They think there's some kind of grand conspiracy. I... I I'm just hoping if I can learn a little bit more about this, I can steer them in the right direction. Show them that, you know, there, there's not some evil magic cult. Huh, well, from what I hear, they're pretty evil. Uh, although, you know, it was uh, before my time. Fortunately, anyone who worked on that case is uh, no longer with us here in the in the force. Um, Do they retire? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was 07. It's a while ago now. Um, let me think. What was this detective's name? The main one in charge was uh, Legrasse, Inspector John Raymond Legrasse. But, uh, he might be around here somewhere. Otherwise, you've got uh, Sergeant Swanson. I believe he lives just across the Mississippi, Algiers. Uh, not a particularly nice neighborhood, but uh, I think he's still around. All right. Well, I mean, you have been more than helpful, sir. Um, and thank you for your thank you for your service. Um, I'll just I'll just look over those files, but before I do, I mean, is there anything that off the top of your mind you could kind of toss to me again? I'm I'm not a local, although I do I do enjoy this city. I will say about the case specifically. You mean all of the case or the kind of things people talk about? You know, just it's the old wives' tales that get thrown around. You never <laughs> know. Well, it was such a long time ago, um, but uh, from what I remember, back in '07. Well, there were a bunch of missing women and children disappeared from the swamp communities in the south. And uh, after that, uh, Legrasse, about 20 men went into those swamps to investigate. And so they say they found uh, nearly 100 degenerate cultists. This is kind of gruesome if you don't want me to go on. No, I mean, I, I don't have a soft stomach. Well, there were, so they say, dancing naked. Around scaffolds, holding the mutilated bodies of these missing women and children. Good Lord. Legrasse and his men burst into the scene, killed a bunch of them, captured the others. A few locals, but uh, well, the story goes they were mostly uh, seamen, institutionalized, criminally insane. A couple of them were hanged. Yeah, gruesome stuff. And at that point, the um, the uniformed officer comes out with this this moldy box um, that he brings out and sort of puts down in front of you. Yep, everything's here. Yeah, wow. I mean, uh, Jack's probably taken aback by that. He was expecting bad, but not not that. Uh, 
kind of takes a minute. That is, uh, that is, yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a thing. I mean, I'll look through these files and I'm sure it's in there, but anybody ever get any sense out of any of them why they would do it? Were they, I mean, were they all just insane? Women and children. Good Lord. Yeah, well, I'm not a psychologist, but, uh, have to be pretty insane to do something like that. Yeah, and sick. Hmm. Um, before I go to, to look through the box and everything, um, ask the, I, I like turn to the, the detective, um, and say to him, you got a card, uh, you know, could, could be that, I mean, you seem, you seem quite, uh, competent at your job and you've been more than helpful. Could be I need to lean on you at some point or, hey, if I do actually find some sense of this, we might need some real police. It's not like I can do any arresting these days. Says, oh, yeah, one, one second. And um, he begins looking through his coat and then sort of looks over at the the uniformed officer who rushes off and rushes back and yeah, then he passes you a, a card. Um, it's Noah Fillmore. And it's uh, police, it's got the address, it's got a number. Uh, Jack like taps it and smiles at him. Thank you. I, uh, I'll absolutely be in contact if again if I, if I need any real police work. Um, just one thing though, just, just one more thing if you'll bear with me. Like I said, I'm new to town. Um, and I keep hearing about some organization, um, something to do, maybe even with this cult, I don't know, but Honorable Crew of Swords, you, you ever heard about them? Know anything about them? Oh, um, and he kind of stops sipping his coffee for a second and says, uh, yeah, why? Oh, well, like I said, I've just, uh, trying to follow this case up, and, and again, my, I mean, my employer, I guess, um, uh, yeah, they've got all sorts of ideas about this cult some 20 years ago, and they, they keep mentioning um, this honorable crew of swords being in, involved somehow in some kind of strange arcane mess. It's it's hard to make heads or tail of, hence hence needing to do some research here. Um, I mean, I'm two days from committing to myself. I, <laughs> these things, I know I must sound crazy, uh, and I apologize for that. I'm just trying to follow my leads. That's right. No, well, um, he sort of looks at you and, uh, he looks back at, uh, the other officer and he says, that's fine, Merlot. Um, and he looks back and he says, well, me and, uh, another detective were looking into him, actually. More of a fishing expedition than anything. Although it's, uh, due to be terminated shortly. No, no new evidence. Well, I mean, I guess if there's no evidence, there's not much you can do, but why, why look into him? Well, see, the coroner's claim, I just, I don't know if you know the details of this Peter Gavin newspaper man, he fell to his death and the coroner's claim is that he fell from a much higher file than the nearest university building, despite the fact evidence clearly shows he died where he was found and no one really has a theory as to why this, um, conflicts, uh, I mean, it's Mardi Gras, right? Everything is strange right now. Well, it does seem to be true, but... I mean, in my experience, and it's it's been some time, of course, but my experience, coroner's usually right. Again, I don't really know what to say, pal. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you're doing the best work you can. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry your investigation is not leading to the fruit you were hoping for, but how about this? Look, if there is anything that I can help you with, I'd love to... Ah, you know, return the favor. I don't know too much. As I said, I'm I'm not a local, but 
Give me a law roll, please. Oh, shit. Yep. <laughs> 10 versus 5. That's a fail. <laughs> it's like the worst ex-cop with a 5 law. <laughs> he just smiles and says, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I mean, it's strange, but we didn't find anything on these guys. So we just have to chalk it up to one of those. What do they call them? Urban legends? Uh, Something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, does happen. Does happen on occasion. Well, like I said, I'm sure you're doing great work, and, and I won't keep you too much longer. I'm just going to look through these files. Again, if I come across anything or think of anything, I'll let you know. And uh, like I said earlier, if I, if, if I find myself in a situation where I need some uh, some actual police to show up, I will give you a call. Because I'd appreciate that. Yeah, Jack will like, you know, tip his cap to him and <laughs> take the, the box and, and head off to whatever room he's allowed to sit in and read. Yeah, yeah. You know, they've cleared like a little little office space for you to sort of pull everything out and um, begin looking. As you sit down and open this, this moldy box, dust kind of falls out everywhere. Um, yeah, it's just full, full of like stacks of paper. Um, give me a library use roll. Oh, okay. That's a new one. Uh, all right. Oof. <laughs> 54 versus 20, failure. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, you know, you, you you begin sort of pulling out the papers and just trying to figure out which order they're meant to go in. There's stuff that's fallen out. It's all kind of loose. You begin laying it out on the table. But something distracts you from that because in the bottom of this box is a photograph. It is a little idol and it looks kind of like a head with an octopus face. Oh. Okay. Yeah, full circle to the antique shop. Um, does it look like the same one from the antique shop, or just like the same likeness? Uh, it's hard to tell from from the photograph, but it does. I mean, it looks like the same one. Yeah. Uh, it would make sense to you that these things kind of end up in like police auctions and stuff. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I'm obviously not going to take anything out of this evidence. Um, would. I'm not sure how like how legal this would be at the time or like definitely not now but uh would they get upset if I took a photo of like some of these papers and that photo on the desk? They might but they probably wouldn't know. All right. Okay. Uh I guess just roll with it, you know, not not so much ask is that legal. Um yeah, I mean uh, Jack will do that. Yeah. You take a photo of this um Take a photo of the photo of this uh, (laughs) idol. Um, The idol. (laughs) You know, it's dated and says it was put into evidence. Um, The rest of the files have, like, statements of, like, the swamp folks from the initial cases as they pled with the police. There is, you know, some names and statements from prisoners and officers involved in the raids as well. As you sort of look through, the, the cultists who did talk in these statements talk about worshipping devils ancient devils that lived in the swamp the cult they say is like worldwide and incredibly old the statements about this they found this this half octopus statue and then there are you know the the statements as you're sort of reading through um from the police are going to describe the raid there were 20 men that took part in it what it says in there is basically what um the other detective told you yeah like a slightly more detailed rundown yeah it doesn't mention anything, you know, seeing anything supernatural or anything like that. Um, 
and then there are the names of you know the officers on the on the force. Um, the two of them stand out to you, of course, that were mentioned were Lagrasse, who's retired, and Sergeant Swanson, who's also retired. Roll me a um, roll me a D six, please. Okay. Well, that's a one. You're in here for about an hour before you're like, okay, this is probably all the info that that I'm going to get. Okay. From these um from these files. Um, before he packs everything up, um, I think while he was looking through everything, he particularly would have been looking for like three things, um, trying to piece things together and we would just like scan one last time to see if like anybody had sketched, uh, the symbol he keeps seeing, or there's like a, uh, description of somebody who sounds like, or looks like Papa Screech, um, or, and I'm going to get this wrong cause I keep forgetting the name but uh sarcosa carcosa the city that was carcosa yeah carcosa if there's any mention of that like that city or that name uh no as you're looking through there's nothing about the symbol there's nothing about a yellow king there's nothing about carcosa um no one named screech seems to be in there the only thing that you sort of glean the cultists refer to this um half octopus half dragon thing is sort of in identified in one of the statements as their chief god the great cthulhu or thulhu yeah uh i mean jack will make a note and be like that's a strange name um yeah but but probably not take too much stock in it i I think he's starting to come around on like there are maybe things we can't explain but he's certainly still not at a point where he believes really any of this of course um yeah but then you get a little, uh, a bit of detail around Sergeant Swanson, including his um, his current oh. address, which is in Algiers, just across the river there, the Mississippi. Yeah, um, I guess packs everything up in the box, um, brings it to um, uh, what was his name, Malat? Yes, uh, and thanks him for you know. I really appreciate you, uh, you boys, let me have a look. Um, I didn't find much, but. Hopefully what I have will uh, help me in this case. Uh, I might go and visit uh, former Detective Detective Swanson. Um, I mean, would that would that be appropriate? I mean, is would he uh, be amenable to that, or you think better to leave him alone? Uh, assuming that they know each other, <laughs> you know. Uh, Malot, this is the young young um, uniformed police officer. Yeah, he he says um, he sort of sh- shakes his head and says. Uh, before my time, um, I don't see why it wouldn't be. Yeah, Jack like um, slaps the desk with a, a smile. Like, well, I guess I'll just have to give it a shot. Again, thank you for your time and your resources. It's no problem. Yeah, I, I think he like grins at him. He's like, keep doing good work. You'll be active one day. Uh, and like heads out. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Are you going to um, head to this address of this um, Sergeant Swanson? Yeah. Um I think he's starting to get to the point where he's real itchy to see what what's up with that book. But before, yeah, let's let's go see Swanson before he does. So I'm I'm real concerned the minute he opens that book, I go insane. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, feeling a little apprehensive about it. No problem. Yeah, so you drive across south, uh, across the Mississippi into Algiers. As you get there, yeah, this is like one of the poorest neighborhoods in New Orleans. There's trash blowing through the the grimy streets. Gangs of youths sneering sort of as you drive through. And then you come to what appears to be a a crumbling, overgrown 
brick monstrosity, this tenement. Um, and yeah, it just exudes an aura of despair and defeat. It's quite sad. Yeah, I think Jack is probably more comfortable here than he'd like to admit, kind of looking around like, ah, well, this is probably where I should be. You know, lucky I have a friend <laughs> who, uh, who got me a job. Um, he's going to hold out his notebook in front of him, um, almost as if he's like a newspaper man. He's not going to use a disguise, but um, try to be very forthright as he gets out the car and uh, walks up the steps and knocks on the door. Yeah, of course. It's only um, after, like, some quite persistent knocking that um, you hear a voice on the other side. Like, Jesus Christ. And then uh, the door opens and you see this, this man, probably in his early 60s, about six feet tall, unshaven, considerable paunch. Um, you know, his face is, like, heavily veined. He's got, like, the, the, the alcoholic's nose. He sort of opens up the door and looks at you and just says, Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, sorry to bother you, sir. Um, so why did you? Well, I ask myself that every day. Detective Swanson? It just, like, smiles at him. Used to be Detective Swanson. Yeah, well, we've got that in common. I used to be Detective Cassidy. Now I'm Investigator Cassidy. Look, I ain't gonna lie to you. I got some questions to ask you. I, I hope that you're willing to sit down and talk to me a little bit about, uh, maybe, uh, your most harrowing case. Might be hard to go through, but... Uh, pulls out his flask from his coat, um, takes a drink, and hands it over to him. But if you got the time, yeah, seeing that he like snatches it from you, and then opens the door and walks in. It's just don't know what I can tell you. As he begins to clear some space in this rundown, awful apartment, um, pulls out a chair for you, and does the same for himself. Yeah, sit down, um, pull out. Um, I think Jack like rolls his own cigarettes, pulls out uh, his his like pack of tobacco, rolls a couple cigarettes, passes him one, um, gestures at the flask so he could take another drink himself, <laughs> and then hands it back. <laughs> and he's like, "Look, look, I can only imagine from what I I just left the precinct. I just read the files. I can only imagine this is probably one of the worst days of your life. What you saw, uh, and that sticks with the man. But I'm concerned." On my own investigation I got going on, that, that that cult, they're coming back. Or something about them is still around. And I need to know whatever it is you know, whatever you heard, whatever you saw. Because things could get bad around Mardi Gras, if I'm right. Give me a, I'm going to say a persuade for this one. Oh, that's a 12-10 push. I'm going to use luck on that one. It's, it's close enough. Yeah, yeah, spend two points yeah. of luck. Yeah. All right, I've dropped my luck. I'm down to 31. And he says, well, I mean, since you read the files, you pretty much know everything there is to know, huh? Hey, smart detective like you. <laughs> I very much doubt that. He just kind of looks at him. There's a big difference between standing somewhere and reading about it, ain't there? Do you believe in monsters? Oh, sure. I've dealt with plenty in my time. No. I mean... I mean... Real monsters. Kinds that haunt your dreams. Yeah, he like swallows hard. Uh, kind of looks at him. Think I'm starting to. Yeah, well, we did see something. Something that didn't make it into those 
statements. Me and Galvez. As we were there, out on the lake. A hideous shape. Gigantic and white. I only got a glimpse of it, but... It's haunted my dreams ever since. There's something out there. Things out there that we can't explain. I bet you think I'm crazy. Oh well, I'd like to, but I don't, if I'm being honest. Last couple days I've encountered a few things that are hard to explain. Um, did it look like this? I mean, I, I don't think he's been able to develop his photo yet, so maybe he, like, made a sketch uh, the first time he saw the... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no. Hmm, he sort of looks at it and says, No, no, this was something else. Something much bigger. Well, listen, um, I've been seeing this symbol all over the place. I mean, that's my investigation. It has to do with that young man... Reporter uh, started following up on this group called the Honorable Crew of Swords, uh, looking into him, and he, he found something to do with a cult, something to do with this cult that you investigated all those years ago. It seems like see the symbol everywhere. Show him the symbol. At one point, I was looking at it, and I mean, it reached out to me. It listen, not a lot of things that scared me. I've seen war. That scared me. This was something different. So no, I don't think you're crazy. But, I mean, what are we dealing with? What are we looking at? Where's the sense in this? <laughs> sense? <laughs> you want sense? Sense ain't gonna get you nowhere, boy. Unless you got the sense to not head out to those swamps. Listen, I don't know nothing about this sign, but... Let me tell you, if you are dealing with something like this cold again, don't make the same mistakes we did. And what was that? One, we should have had more men. Two, we should have had more guns. And three, he takes a swig. We should never have taken an eels bastards alive. Now listen... I do appreciate the visit, but I got nothing else to add. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for relieving this. Um, yeah, I'm sure you uh, you got a lot to deal with. Here, scratch us down his number. I should have business cards. I'm just giving everybody my phone number. <laughs> scratch us down his number. Pass it across to him. He's like, look, I'm uh, looking into, like I said... This honorable crew of swords, looking at this symbol, something called the Yellow King. And I'll take your advice. If you think of anything else, might be able to save some lives or stop something from happening. You let me know, all right? I will do. Well, you have yourself a fine day and try to rest. Yeah. Yep, head out. Like, there's, there's so much that, like, I you know, kind of love to, like, look around his place and, like, see how far deep he's gone. But the, the guy's obviously cracked. Uh, not not going to 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. With him. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't think he's done anything wrong. He's just seen too much. Um, so yeah, just head out, get back to the car, and make some notes. Maybe it's time to finally look at that book. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere safe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I assume what, maybe heading back to the to the apartment. Yeah, I think he goes back to the apartment, unlocks the the desk, pulls out that symbol, gets all his notes together, and pulls out the book, starts to unwrap it. Yeah, you begin to um to peel away the the paper that's uh, the strings in the paper that's binding this book. And uh, as you do, yeah, as you begin to peel it back, you see, um, you know, rich black leather. And then at the front, kind of stamped, embossed in yellow, this symbol. Give me a sanity roll, please. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. 1248. Hard success. Luck. Nice. Um, yeah, you sort of take a deep breath as you as you look at this symbol and you kind of feel like you begin to see it squirming again, but you blink hard and, and it stops. Yeah, I think um, getting over that first kind of first hump um, gulps, again, like takes a minute to stare at the symbol and make sure it's the same. Like it obviously is, but as he's just like blink to try to brush away, you know, that slightly haunting image um, I'll take a minute to like verify this is real and then then open the book and start start skimming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Roll me roll me a d4. Okay. That's 2. 2. So you're going to lose 2 points of sanity. It just just seeing this book. All right. And as you um go to open it. It's quite a few pages. It's going to take you like some hours to to read the whole thing. The title page lists no date, no author, no publisher, and there are no page numbers either. Yeah, that's that's what I was about to ask. Uh, as, as he starts flipping through it, um, do you begin to read this thing? Hmm, not sure how to do this. Like, I, I almost think he's starting to buy in to like some of this strange fate stuff or whatever myst- mystic things. Um, so he's. I don't know, like, with the book open, maybe hold out the symbol over it, as it's whatever, an eye, and just, like, randomly flip pages and see if he's drawn to something. Not at first, no. As you begin to flip through the book, you see it has, you know, first all the dramatist personae, the main character, the queen... There are some princes, some princesses, advisors, servants, the priest... It appears to be about a royal family. And as you continue flipping through, you see that the play is told in in three acts. Uh, The play itself seems strange, almost contradictory in in parts. It's set in a decadent city called Itil, or Waitil, which is not on Earth. It's an alien city. The first act involves the queen, who isn't given a name, and her four sons and two daughters, who spend most of the first act worrying about the succession to the throne. The worry is over this ancient legend that warns that in some point in the future, Whitel will name a new king, 
the last king who will usher in the destruction of the city and its entire people. And in that act, you're drawn to this poem. It's a song sung by Princess Casilda, one of the youngest daughters. It goes, Along the shore the cloud waves break, The twin suns sink behind the lake, The shadows lengthen in Carcosa. Strange is the night where black stars rise, And strange moons circle through the skies, But stranger still is lost Carcosa. Songs that the Hyades will sing, where flap the tatters of the king, must die unheard in dim Carcosa. Song of my soul, my voice is dead, die though unsung as tears unshed, shall dry and die in lost Carcosa. Uh, The act then continues with the introduction of a pair of evil noblemen who conspire to avoid the destruction of Whitehall by poisoning the entire royal family and instead establishing a parliamentary form of government. And at the end of the first act, the royal family hears that a stranger has arrived in Whitehall, born by winged demons. The stranger wears a pallid mask and bears the yellow sign, which has been forbidden in the city for centuries. And you flip to the second act, which begins with visions of an illusory ghost city on the far shores of the Lake of Harley, which is across from Whitehall. The royal family and their priest summon and haughtily question the stranger, who calls himself the Phantom of Truth. The masked being offers vague declarations and confusing allegories, but few coherent answers. He claims to be an emissary of the dreaded King in Yellow, or the Last King. And later, at this masked ball honouring the royal family, everyone unmasks, except for the stranger, who reveals that his pallid mask is no mask at all. And the second act ends with the royals ordering the imprisonment and torture of the Phantom. And there's a third act. Uh, Do you continue reading? Yeah, I I mean, I think just that big mention of like, oh, a masked ball uh, and like the stranger and the symbol. um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I I think he would be too engrossed not to keep reading. So the third act sees uh, various members of the royal family questioning the Phantom as he's being tortured, but again, eliciting, eliciting only more confusing answers and ominous warnings of the coming of his master. The Phantom appears to die, but as the torturer goes to dispose of the body, he discovers that it is, in fact, his apprentice's corpse instead. And now the escaped Phantom of Truth moves through the palace, exacting vengeance on various minor characters before joining the royal family on the shores of Lake Harley. And now is when the King in Yellow arrives from across the lake. Those not driven mad with fear notice that the dead city across the lake is no longer there. The hoary, tattered king declares that only one city now exists on the shores of Harley, and that Whitehall will henceforth be known as Carcosa. 
play ends with the king having settled the problem of succession and with the main cast now fearfully awaiting their imminent demise. Yeah. Um, I mean, with, with that again, he's like, ah, that's why he was yelling about Carcosa. All right. <sighs> um, and I assume the description of the, the mask symbol is, you know, what's on the cover of the book and the one we keep seeing. Yeah, I think... I think Jack like closes the book um, and almost like laughs to himself and has a, a drink where he had been acting like so paranoid about this and even holding up the symbol and like, you know, again, has a drink and kind of less. <laughs> yeah, a book that drives you insane. Uh, I should have known it was all bullshit. Give me a sanity roll. Yeah. There it is. 58 versus 46 fail. Oh, no. Roll me 1d6 and then add one to it. All right. That's a two, so a three. Okay. So you're a little shaken as you lose three points of sanity. But um, you're, you know, <laughs> you weren't driven insane by reading it. So, you know, it's fine. It's just like a more sort of sadistic and esoteric version of like Macbeth or, or Titus Andronicus, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some gruesome details of um, how the Phantom sort of goes around the mansion and deals out this punishment throughout the final act. You can, you can, you can sort of, you know, understand why this was banned at the time just for being gruesome, you know, and why there were sort of tales around it. The torturer, after seeing his apprentice, um, realizing that he was torturing his apprentice, hangs himself. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there's even a scene where the spectral Phantom hoists him like through the, the floors and the walls of the palace and sort of entombs him alive with the spirits of those that he has tortured. It's all very, all very dark. Oh, man. Um, I mean, after spending um, so much time kind of reading through this and absorbing it, and certainly by the end, like just being fully engrossed, um, what, what time would you say it is? Like, is it late in the night or evening? Um, it was sort of two hours that you spent skimming through this um so i'm gonna say it's it's currently about uh 2 p.m oh yeah okay so it didn't <laughs> it didn't take him like the whole day to skim through files and then this good stuff all right 2 p.m um yeah jack's gonna make some notes about how that mask looks in particular um mm. and then yeah yeah so yeah, this is a point where, as a as a player, I'm kind of split on how I think uh, he's going to start carrying forward. Because especially learning more and more about the cult from the past, I think that he's starting, Jack's starting to be less concerned about actually solving anything to do with this reporter who died, um, and now would want to go about and destroy all the yellow symbols he can. Uh, but at the same time, like, the other half of him is obviously, like, the, the only thing he really cares about is that, you know, this is a case so, um, yeah, maybe he'll just split the difference, um, and try to find like a Mardi Gras mask shop and see if he can get them to make this mask. Okay. Yeah. This white phantom mask. I'm sure that'll turn some heads at the, the masquerade ball. Yeah. It sounds good. Um, so yeah, you close up this book and I don't know, I guess put it away somewhere safe. Yeah. Um, 
I think, even even though he knows better than this at this point from the stuff he's been hearing, I think he's going to keep the like the necklace, the symbol on him now, um, and he's going to like keep the book. Maybe he pulls up a floorboard or something and hides it. Yeah, no problem. And so the plan is to just sort of head down to, I guess, the main streets and find one of these masquerade shops. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think before he does anything else, he's going to do that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, you tuck this book away and I guess get out of the apartment into the, you know, the dreary day sun and um, hop in the car and drive down to, to Bourbon Street. And try and find a, 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 you know, more bespoke style party shop. Uh, yeah, as you um, as you get out of the car and begin kind of walking down the street, looking around, trying to find a place, um, you see hanging from the side of one of these buildings now is some sort of Mardi Gras decorations are up. There's paintings, there's placards, there's, you know, decorations. Um, amongst them all, flapping gently in the wind is, uh, yeah, a black flag with this yellow sign on it being put up as part of the decorations. A little high up on the building. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he'll, uh, I guess, take note of that and go into the, the mask shop. Yeah, you know, you walk into this, this sort of quirky little little shop. You're not sure sort of how, you know, authentic, um, you know, the, the, the decorations and stuff are. They seem to be pretty, you know, there's like a sort of a souvenir shop and there's some masquerade masks and, you know, costumes and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and you see a, um, a man behind the counter, um, seems to be reading something, and uh, he looks up at you. He says, oh, good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. Um, yeah, this is a pretty nice shop you've got here. I was hoping uh, maybe I could get something made. I've, <laughs> I've been invited to a masquerade party. I don't, I don't think I've ever been to one of those before. I figure I uh, should probably, I don't know. I don't know, dress the part. What kind, what kind of mask you usually wear to these kind? I've got an idea, but this is my first Mardi Gras. Uh, like, plays it up. First time in New Orleans, huh? Yeah, you know. I always wanted to come, but first time I've been. Well, you're, uh, yeah, you're in for a treat. Um, I mean, we've got plenty, plenty of masks if you want to pick something up, but you're after something a little more tailor-made, are you? I mean, yeah, possibly. I, I just, I really want to make an impression, you know? Um... And I was I was reading about this 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 crazy old play that I was reading, and I I think my host is a big fan of it. So um, this mask was described in it. And I was wondering if you got something like this, or if you make me something like this, um, and we'll like give him the description. Yeah, I mean, give me a luck roll. Okay, thirty four versus one of fail. Mmm. I'm gonna keep burning my luck. Why not? This is such a minor thing to do. It. You can't spend. Oh, I can't use luck on luck. Ah, yeah, right. No, unfortunately. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, he pulls out a, a tray, like, you know, a, a bunch of masks and some shelves. He points in the direction of him. nothing that really jumps out at you that, um, fits this description perfectly. A few things that are like, oh, maybe, maybe, but they're not quite right. Um, he says, well, I mean, yeah, you seem to be uh, a man who knows what he wants. Um, if you got enough time between now and that party, I, I can make something for you. Oh, what, what would you charge for the, something like that? Oh, um, he sort of looks at your, you know, your sketches and he sort of, um, looks at your head and he's like, uh, something like that, about $10. $10. Oh, and you could have it ready by, uh, well, I guess Mardi Gras night? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Got a few orders, but, uh, we should have enough time to make something. Well, I, 
I can't tell you how pleased I am. It, I'm just, I'm really excited. Like I said, I mean, like you said, first Mardi Gras, I, I will happily commission you to uh, to do that work. Yeah, well, love the business and uh, you won't be disappointed. And he said, you know, goes to take down all your details and sort of measure up your, uh, <laughs> you know, your head and your skull. <laughs> um, well, he does. I'll like... I guess make a point of like I guess holding out that symbol on the necklace and be like, "You ever seen anything like this before?" I uh, I keep seeing it around. I was given this. I was to- I was told it would bring me luck, and uh, keep continue to play like the dumb tourist. He says, um, "I I I must confess, I'm not really much of a voodoo expert, um, but uh, I mean, if you want to find information about something like that, uh, you want to head uh, towards the more uh, you know voodoo part of town." Tram. It's a mostly black neighborhood west of the French Quarter. Tram. All right. Um, I mean, you know anybody in particular? Can you point me in any directions? Somebody who might be uh, maybe a bit of an expert? Again, I'm, I'm new here. I don't know too much. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of places around there. Uh, I mean, you probably want to head down to something like uh, Erzul's. All right. Well... I I just might do that. Yeah. It might be good to know what it what it is. It's bringing me luck. Appreciate the recommendation. Not at all. And I'll I'll be back for that mask. How does this work? Uh do I pay you up front or half down or He says, Oh yeah, and you know, half down. All right. I, I, I pull out five bucks. Says, Thank you very much. Um listen, uh we'll probably have it done uh the day before if you want to come in just in case we need to make any uh any more adjustments. Oh absolutely, I'll do that. Great. Great. We'll uh he looks down at the paperwork and he says, uh, well, I'll see you then, Mr. Cassidy. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. You have yourself a fine day. You too. And walk outside, light a cigarette, you know, exhausted from the, the strain of being perky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and head down to, uh, I guess, Trem to, uh, to Azul's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you sort of move, like, west from the French Quarter, um, you get to, um, uh, I guess, what can only be described as a voodoo um, community. Um, you know, um, as you move, like, obviously, like, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of black people in, in New Orleans, but the demographics kind of change, and you maybe get a few sort of suspicious looks as this is clearly, a, you know, pretty much an all-black neighborhood. You don't see many many uh, white people here, so you're kind of viewed with a little bit of suspicion as, you, as you're kind of wandering through. Um, looking for this, looking for this shop, um, and you actually see that there's sort of many voodoo shops and, and um, practitioners around here. But yeah, you see um, one with a little sign that says uh, Erzul's. Yeah, pull up up front, um, get out the car. Uh, again, I, I don't think he would feel any need to try to like overly do a disguise or any kind of lies with this. He's just gonna. Um, Walk in. Probably probably leave his camera in the car um, and go inside. Yeah, of course. So you head into this 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 quaint little um, quaint little shop. You know, the walls and the ceilings are just littered with um, all kinds of things. You know, figurines, tribal masks, um, all kinds of strange stuff hanging from the walls. Um, you know, hanging from the ceiling as well. Um, it's all, um, it's sort of packed in and you're immediately hit with all these, these senses, you know, you can hear some people kind of playing music outside on the, on the streets even as you walk in. Um, give me a spot hidden 
actually, before you um before you walk into the shop. Ah, oh, forty five versus fifty. That's a success. Yeah. As you um sort of walk past this um this small ash tree that's kind of like juts out, you know, over the street from like this alleyway in between the the buildings that you're heading into, um, you notice that there are like dozens of symbols carved into the trunk of the tree. But yeah, there's um then you see the the dusty storefront window that reads Azul's, and um yeah, you head in. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> probably the symbols in the tree sets him off for a second. Um, he might be a little bit uncomfortable, as in, like, he's starting to believe that there's some supernatural stuff, and this place probably has some. Uh, but yeah, he'll head into the shop, start looking around. Yeah. As you head into the shop, you're immediately struck with all kinds of scents. You see these artifacts, items, ingredients up on the walls and shelves. They all look strange and unusual to you. And the woman behind the counter, this uh, young and very attractive black woman, she tilts her head and looks at you, you know, a little confused and says, uh, you look a little out of place. Ah, uh, you're, I mean, you're not wrong. Um, I, I need some guidance. Um, and I was recommended that this might be the place uh, to get that, but you're right, I am out of place. I, I don't know anything about and like gestures around at all the stuff on the walls. Uh, uh, voodoo, but apologies if I have mispronounced that. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a little nervous if you can't tell. I'm in like plays that up a little bit. She kind of smirks at you. Um, give me an appearance roll. All right. Oh, that's a 20 versus 40. Apparently apparently he's looking good today. It's a hard success. Yeah, and her smile widens as she looks at you. And she says, um, that's okay. You might not know much about voodoo, but I'm sure you know what brought you here. Why don't you tell me that? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, may as well cut to it. Um, he will, like, take off the, the small necklace um, and put it on the, the counter and say, look, um... I'm going to be honest with you, I am a private investigator, and I've been in the middle of a small investigation regarding uh, a newspaper man who had a, quite a strange death, and at every turn, I keep running into this symbol. Um, I mean, it seems tied up in all sorts of things, and I, I mean, I was told it brings me luck, but I, I don't know how I feel about that. And I don't know who to even talk to. At one point, I talked to a man... The man who made this symbol, I think his name's Pop Screech. Uh, and upon seeing the symbol, she immediately takes a step back and throws her hands up and says, no, no, that's not voodoo. That's that's something else entirely. Please uh, put that away. Please. Um, and give me a psychology roll. Uh, that's 67 versus 55. That's a failure. I mean, he will snatch it up immediately and put it away with her being scared. But And she says, look, I don't know nothing about it. Um, but I, I'm... I, I'm sorry. I, uh, I, I didn't mean to upset you. Um, if it's if it's not voodoo, what what is it? Something much darker. Something evil. I mean, if it's evil magic, then why is it being plastered all over the city? You said a name. Screech. That's the man who's painting it. I think I'm going to ask you to leave. Uh, I I understand. I I didn't mean to offend you, and I I just man my. I'm not sure where to turn to I, I, I really need some help here um please if you could if you could just tell me something 
she sighs and says, uh, Papa Screech is a bokor, sorcerer. He works just not with voodoo. He borrows from all kinds of magic. The negative kind. The evil kind. I... I don't want to talk about this anymore. I understand, and I, w- I won't press you to, and I, I will leave. Uh, thank you. It's just one last thing, and I, pr- I promise I'll leave, but... Well, if this isn't going to bring me protection and luck, and this is something that can harm people, I mean... You know anything who can protect us? And she um, reaches down from under the counter and pulls out this little necklace. Um, seems to just be like a, you know, um, a bunch of cloth kind of folded in and wrapped in on each other, wrapped in on itself. And she puts it down. And she says, take this. Oh, thank you. Well, um, I'm not sure how this works, but what do I owe you for this kindness? She just shakes her head and waves her hands. Yeah, I mean he'll he'll pick it up, um, and again like give her a like a very uh, circumspect nod, um, and again say thank you. I'm I'm sorry if I brought anything bad into your into your your shop here. I I, I will go. And again, thank you. And she she nods and gives you this almost sympathetic look as you walk out of the shop and back onto the street. And that is where we will leave this episode of RPG Quest. Yeah, all right. And, uh, yeah, we will be back again to continue the uh, scenario. Yeah, looking forward to it. Bye. See if we can make me go insane next time. (laughs) We're getting there. We're getting there. (laughs) 